team that was in last place on January 3rd. The players on the bench are bouncing up. History will be made tonight in Boston. 15 seconds to go as Shen blocks a puck to the corner. 10 seconds remaining. Get up, St. Louis. Get on your feet. Raise them high. Five seconds to go. And the time winds down. They did it. It's over. The game is over. The series is over. The wait is over. And the St. Louis Blues are the Stanley Cup champions for the first time in franchise history. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a heart-wrenching episode of 2, 5, and 10. Benny, welcome, welcome. Congrats to St. Louis Blues. Uh, Obviously, everybody knows by now, Stanley Cup champs won Game 7 in Boston. I think well-deserved, as painful as it might be for you and other Bruins fans to uh, admit that well played game seven on a road. I think they utterly earned that win in game seven. Uh, so congratulations to them. They're celebrating with the cup. Now they had their parade this past Saturday. Um, I'm sure it's getting dented, bruised, drank out of poured into all, all the good stuff. So congrats to the blues. Yes. Um, I think one good thing we did here is we waited to drop this episode and, I think specifically it's not for instant reaction because obviously you'd have the upset and disgruntled Bruins fan, but I think this is more on the other end of now being able to process as to what had happened, how the game played out, and everything else going forward. So with that, let's get into it, Benny. So, yeah, we'll get into the offseason now. Um we definitely shared our thoughts and uh, a lot of social media posts on a Stanley Cup win for the Blues, and we'll continue doing that over the summer if there are any funny stories or videos coming out uh, with the players' days with the Cup. Uh, but the NHL has already transitioned to the offseason, so so will we. Uh, jumping into the first big news, I think the top free agent defenseman on the market didn't even get the chance to hit the open market. Eric Carlson re-signs with the San Jose Sharks, an eight-year deal worth $92 million, so about an $11.5 million cap hit a year. Uh, turning kind of into that leeway point of leaving his prime years, I think. So what are your thoughts on the eight-year deal and also the cap hit for Carlson and San Jose? Awful. Absolutely awful deal. Um, looking at it and seeing it the way it should be we don't even know how good or how bad this guy's groin is so with that for them to lock him up for as long as they did and for the money they did is a little crazy I thought if anything it would probably be a maybe a five-year deal with very big money 
And then whether he went somewhere else or if the latter years were a little bit shorter, I expected that. Um, as for him on a personal level, I, I guess he went to San Jose and fell in love with it. And hard not to, beautiful area. Um, in that Pacific Division, travel's not all that bad. So I think for him personally, very good deal. I just think on the other end for the team-wise with the people they have to sign with Pavelski and Meyer and things like, like this straps you, this puts your back against the wall. And I just don't think time and term were in San Jose's favor in this one, but maybe to retain him, that was kind of the wish it had to be all or nothing. And maybe that was why they went with it, but I just don't think that was a good deal at all. The San Jose Sharks were negotiating against themselves here. And you can tell because Carlson jumped on that deal when he eventually came up to the $11.5 million a year, which makes him the highest paid defenseman in the NHL. He tossed out Drew Doughty's eight-year, $88 million contract with the Kings. You're looking at a guy whose game is built on offense, built on speed, at least skating forward. Everybody knows his trouble skating backwards. Um and he's now run into significant groin and lower leg injuries that has required surgery several times now. So when you think about the length of the deal, eight, million, eight years, that's going to be a very, very ugly, burdensome, burdensome contract for the San Jose Sharks. And they can't keep expecting the cap to go up. They can't keep expecting in a new CBA that there'll be buyout windows. You can't bank on those things. So I think... They're hoping to get three or four more years of top-end production and then hoping for a gradual, steady decline into the later ends of the contract. But I don't even think they're going to get that. Carlson, I still think he's one of the top defensemen in the league, but eight years is way too long. And when you were looking at the market itself, Tampa Bay wasn't going to be able to fit him unless they started blowing up the forward core with guys like Miller or Tyler Johnson, which I don't think they want to do. Vegas wasn't going to be able to fit them. So at that point, you're looking at Montreal. The Rangers weren't going to go there. He definitely didn't want to return to Ottawa. So you're looking at San Jose negotiating against themselves. I would have given them a four-year deal, eight, nine million dollars a year, ten if necessary. But eight years is a little crazy. But on the flip side, the money, like you said. This basically eliminates their ability to bring back their captain, Joe Pavelski, because they still need to sign Timo Meyer uh, as a restricted free agent. He's going to get paid handsomely. So I think, just like they had a cut loose Patrick Marlowe, I think Pavelski is going to be elsewhere unless he wants to sign a very, very team-friendly deal. And then the other news coming out today about Jumbo Joe, who said he thinks he's going to play another 5, 10 years, but he's only going to play for <laughs> the Sharks. Like, Does that mean he's only... Like last year, for example, when there was a chance for them to get Tavares, I think Thornton would have signed there for less money to accommodate. But now it's like if you're paying Eric Carlson $11 million a year, and granted, I know Jumbo Joe is not as fast or anything like that. Would he use? But I mean, he still dishes the puck like no one else. So are you still going to pay him $6 million a year? Like, I think Dougie Wilson has some serious figuring out to do as to who, what, where, when, why. 
and he's officially going to have to draw a line in the sand between his players, whether it's his tenured players or whether it's the guys that he's locking up as RFAs. And I think this is probably going to be one of the hardest things he's ever had to do. Yeah, I don't think Joe is looking for a big contract. He finished, I think, with 51 points in a year, which put him as one of the most productive third-line centers in the entire league. So I can see him returning on like a one-year deal, $3 million, something like that, because uh, he knows the cap situation that the team is in. And if he only wants to play for the Sharks, he's going to have to work with them, and I think he's perfectly okay with that. Um, I think Pavelski has gone. And then on the flip side, to give them a little bit more cushion, they traded Justin Braun, who we know from a time with the Worcester Sharks, right-handed defenseman. Uh, he's coming up on the last year of his five-year deal that he signed with the Sharks a few years back. Uh, he had his struggles this past season, but for me, even with him in a fold, the Sharks had very little depth and guys that they can count on to give them quality NHL minutes in the rest of their top six outside of Braun, uh, uh, sorry, outside of Burns, Carlson, and Vlasic. Now you trade Braun, you're left with Dylan and one of their rookies as the only guys on the contract. So I don't exactly know what they're going to be planning on doing there. I don't know if they're going to be trying to fit in some rookies on the back end, but when you're a Stanley Cup contender and you're signing a guy to a nearly $100 million contract, you would like to be able to put yourself in a position where you're not counting on a huge bounce back season from Martin Jones and a couple rookies filling a hole on the back end. Yeah, they are spreading that peanut butter awfully thin up there. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. Uh, as I mentioned, Braun, he was traded to the Philadelphia Flyers for a second-round pick in this year's draft and a third-round pick in next year's draft, which followed up the Flyers acquiring Matt Niskanen, another right-handed shot defenseman uh, from the Capitals for Ratko Gudis. So I think the Flyers shoring up their back end a little bit. No, no splashy moves, but I think solid veteran guys that can give them 15 minutes of ice time a game, some power play time, some penalty kill time. So definitely an improvement on that end. I don't expect them to stop there. So we'll see what the Flyers do. Speaking of the Flyers, my boy, well, my old boy, Kevin Hayes, signs a seven-year deal worth $7.14 million a year, over $50 million, to stay with the Flyers after his rights are traded to them from the Winnipeg Jets. Kevin Hayes has scored 20 goals once. He has scored 50 points or more once. And now he is the 19th highest paid player in the National Hockey League. It's funny because earlier in the day yesterday before he signed, it comes out that Kevin Hayes is probably not signing in Philadelphia because he has interest. Well, there's mutual interest between him and another team. And then he signs with them that night. So... Did he bend them over here and kind of use fake news as his leeway? I mean, as you said, he only scored over 20 goals once. Who's to say that's going to be replicated? With that, he's very familiar with Elaine Vigneault, so maybe he felt comfort there. I think another thing is he's going into it now with James Van Riemsdyk, Claude Giroux, Voracek, Couturier, Couturier, Patrick's another year older. Like maybe this will be a good fit and maybe he could break out this year. 
But then again, I mean, JVR went back there and, I mean, he was awful last year. So I just, I don't know what to expect out of him. And, I mean, I like Kevin Hayes. I, I think Hayes a great player, but I think expectation-wise, he's a little hard to read. So as for what they're getting next year, I think that's going to be very interesting. So as the Rangers fan here, I will say this. Kevin Hayes is going to get bought out by the Flyers by year four of this deal. Okay, um, put a star on it. Star it so we yeah. can reference back to it. Not necessarily that he's going to fall off a cliff, but he's not going. To, he's going to be chewing up too much of their cap as a lot of their young guys like Povarov, uh, Gashabear, Carter, uh, Harden, Goal, uh, Patrick needs a new deal. He's going to be chewing up too much of that con- of that cap space along with JVR and Voracek for them to be able to keep all their homegrown guys. Um, I have, as a guy who's seen Kevin Hayes since his debut in the National Hockey League, he has some talent. He's a solid role player type guy. He shouldn't be displacing Patrick to the third line. And if Hayes is playing on your third line, why are you paying him $7 million a year? Um, He could place a wing for them. He's had experience there in college and a little bit in his first year at the Rangers, but He's not the fastest guy. Yeah, he has a big body, but he doesn't really use it that well. Um, he has soft hands, but he doesn't shoot enough. So I can see him having a solid year with the Flyers, 15, 20 goals, 30, 35 assists. But it's just an underwhelming package because you see a guy of his size with the hands that he has, and you just expect more. And I think that's going to work against him because he's not a terrible player. But he's like that baseball player that makes everything look easy, so it looks like he's not trying hard. You just expect more from a guy with the skill set and the physical characteristics that he has, and he's not going to give that to him. And Philly's not a very forgiving market. So vastly overpaid for a guy like Hayes, but free agency is one hell of a drug. Clearly, I mean, two guys cashing (laughs) in very early before we even hit the unrestricted market, so... Um, yeah, so moving into some of the notable buyouts uh, on a market that happened already. Dion Phaneuf was bought out by the LA Kings, not surprising at all. Um, the Kings are going to save about $2.8 million uh, over the course of the buyout. Uh, had less than 10 points last year, did not look himself. I'm curious. He is... A few games away from playing, uh, sorry, six points shy of 500 in his career. He just played his 1,000th NHL game. Do you think there's any tread left on the tires with a guy like Phaneuf? I think for a guy like him, you have to go to a market where he's not going to be one of the workhorses. Like, he could still log you a lot of minutes, and I think that if he's one of your top five or six D I think he's okay there I just think that on the other end of things it gets a little bit hairy because the offense with him during his younger years was there and then it just kind of completely shut off and I don't want to push this one way in the sense of he went to Toronto and got absolutely eaten alive like yeah. 
no matter what, everything went to him, so on and so forth. Then, you know, a couple of stops along the way. Now he's in L.A. and never really got his feet wet. So, like, I don't know what to expect from him on the other end of things. And I think that's the weird part. Like, I I think if you put him, like I said, in that five or six D spot, he's okay for you. Because if you want to stay at home defenseman, I think he's fine. But it's the other end of, I mean, he was awful. But <laughs> granted, had, the whole team sucked. LA sucked yeah. last year as a whole. So, but he was so bad that a team like the Kings that finished in a lottery, healthy scratched him. Yeah, that's the pro. But at the same point, though, it was fucking Willie Desjardins who's not even there. So, <laughs> t- take uh, it for what it's worth. Like you said, though, offense. You know, he played ninety-three games for the Kings over the past two years, and he scored sixteen points. Like, unplayable. So, I could see him signing a one-year, like, prove-it deal with the team. Even a team that needs to, like, just sign a guy to get their uh, cap situation up to the cap floor. I don't have much faith that he's going to turn this around. He was drafted in 2003. I think he's a relic of days gone by where a guy of his size and once he started losing his offensive ability, he was going to be able to carve out a little bit of a role as a stay-at-home guy. I don't think he has a speed anymore. I don't think his body is going to be able to hold up well anymore. So I can see him signing a one-year deal, but I think this is really pretty much the end of the road for a guy like enough. I don't know. I, I think his body can hold up. I don't think he's had too many significant injuries, but, I mean, he got the supermodel wife. Like, he, he doesn't really have to leave home. Like, if you don't yeah. have to, why do? And he's made a shit ton of money. Well, I mean... Probably the curse of Sean Avery to sloppy seconds. Well, maybe that's what it was. Maybe Avery made him rich. Or maybe ever since <laughs> Avery said that, he started sucking. So one or the other. <laughs> so, yeah, going to be interesting there to see if enough is able to pick up a spot. Um, I think he's just knowing the type of personality that he has, and you can counter this. I don't think, he, I think he's too stubborn or prideful, and I mean this in a good way as a competitor, to take a offer of a PTO or like a league minimum one-year deal just to keep his career going. At that point, I think he might as well just hang him up and spend his time with his wife and enjoy the money that he's made. I agree with you on that. But at the same time, if he feels he has something to prove, like you said on the stubbornness, I think he would take the deal. I I, I absolutely think he would. League minimum, whatever it is, 600000 and I think he would play it out and see what happened. And whether he gets cut in training camp, because I only see him playing in the NHL. I don't see him taking a deal to go be in the AHL and be a mentor. I don't see that. Yeah. But if it's an NHL and he can make it through training camp and play for someone, I think he would. But if he got released from the PTO, I think that's it. So just trying to connect some dots here. If he's willing to take a cheap one-year deal or even a PTO during a roster spot, and you're the team that might be in a cap crunch who's looking, hey, maybe we can, you know, he has some magic left in that body of his, or we can get one more year out of him, and that's all we're really looking for because we need the depth. If he wants to stay in California, we were just talking about San Jose not having much of a defense 
core behind their top three. If you're Doug Wilson, do you call up Phaneuf and go, listen, you can stay on the West Coast, you can sign with the Stanley Cup contender, we'll give you a one-year deal, veterans minimum, with some bonuses for games played. And then if he works out, you got your third pair left shot defenseman. If he doesn't work out, then you go right back to where you are now. Yeah, I I don't see why you don't. And like you said, outside of those guys up front, they're definitely hurting on the back end. So like you said, the worst case scenario, a Grizzly vet works out. Worst case, you're back to where you were. (laughs) 10 minutes ago playing the kids yeah yeah so i mean i (laughs) Uh, I don't see that being bad at all so staying out west uh we're going to move over to the anaheim ducks who have been in the news the last couple days uh today they announced that they officially bought out the contract of i would say the guy most associated with the ducks once korea and solani left and retired Corey perry uh saving some money on the cap they're going to get about Two to three million dollars, depending on a season, saved against the cap for the next four years. Uh, team that's in a rebuild. Kessler looks like he's going to retire because of his hip injury. Getzlaff is still there. He's still productive, even if he's in a two C or a three C role. Um, and being a captain, they're going to keep him. So clearing out some uh, a little bit of dead weight. The interesting thing, I'll get your thoughts on what you think about the buyout, but I also want your thoughts on this little tidbit that I came across where. The CBA has put him in a position that he might be more appealing to teams than if this wrinkle wasn't there. He played. He missed 100 days of through injury this past year, so he's eligible to sign a one-year deal that's filled with bonuses. So the bonuses won't count against the cap until next season. So that makes him appealing as a guy. If you want to sign him to a one-year deal, bonuses that bonus doesn't have to be adjusted for for this upcoming season for the salary cap. So what are your thoughts on a buyout? And what's the, what are your thoughts also on my idea of the Bruins giving him a shot to fill out that second-line right wing hole? Dude, I was, I was going right there. The Bruins should call him now. Well, I know they can't, but next week, whenever that opening is, absolutely. Uh, Chara got a hell of a lot cheaper for you. I know you have to pay McAvoy and Carlo, but something that we need is a right right winger with David Krejci. With that, hey, here's Corey Perry looking to, hey, he's already making a shit ton of money next year, not even playing. So now if you could throw him a million, two million bucks and then load him up with incentives, I don't see why you wouldn't. As for the buyout, I think it's unfortunate. He's definitely been injury plagued the last couple of years. I'm with you in the sense of he was the guy in Anaheim. And for me, him finally leaving there, I think they're now going to turn a new leaf. I know Getzloff's still there. But after Getzloff, I mean, they're now looking at a whole new future. They have to go for a complete rebuild. And someone now needs to be the face of that franchise. As to who would want to go there to play is one thing. As to who would want to go there for the weather and location is another. So I think you can get people in certain ways. They just got the new head coach in Dallas Eakins. I'm not too sure of their prospect pool as to who's coming up. I mean, 
if anything, Eakins would have his hands right on that with him already being in San Diego. So maybe he's already mentally filling in roster spots, which on a team end could be phenomenal if he's already coming in that prepared. If he's still waiting for July 1st to see who they can bring in and everything else, that's tough because now you're kind of messing around with possible chemistry, not who you know fits where, but so-and-so might play good with Getzlaff. You know, so on that end, I don't know what to expect for them. They saved some money on the cap getting rid of Perry, but I don't know if he was the guy to get rid of here. I know he made a lot of money, but they gave him I think they had to get rid of him. They didn't have to get rid of him. I mean, I, I don't think... I don't think he's that bad. I think it's just more the injuries. And you're going to buy him out and save a little bit of money. But this guy is Marchand-esque in a sense. He is a pain in the ass to play against. He does shit to get under your skin. But he's still dangerous. He can still go out there and score goals. And I think any team in the NHL... If his agent comes knocking, like you said, with a cheap deal loaded with incentive bonuses, anyone's going to sign him. There's no question. So for me, I think they had to get rid of him for two reasons. One is the financial. He had two years left in his deal, his age 34 and 35 seasons, $8.625 million cap hit per year. You, You can't pay a guy who played 31 games last year and had 10 points, who's been on a decline statistically, whether it's the old-school offensive statistics, goals, assists, and points, to his possession numbers and his Corsi numbers. I think he was in a rapid decline out in Anaheim, and they couldn't risk having another Kessler situation where the captain's going to stay in the books. So I think in that way it had to go. But also, to your point, they, they're rebuilding. I know Getzlaff is going to stay there, but they have to start clearing the room a little bit for some of these young guys to step up. You mentioned their prospect pool. They're going to have Troy Terry, who plays right wing. They want to give more time to Daniel Sprong, who they picked up from the Penguins uh, midway last year. Uh, they have Max Jones. They're going to be calling up Sam Steele as the center. So they definitely have some prospects that they want to incorporate into the, into the room and the lineup. And I think they needed to make the room for those guys on the ice and also in the locker room. So I think this is a no-brainer, but I also agree that he might still have value to other teams out there. He's only one year removed from scoring 17 goals and having 49 points um, for the Ducks in 2017-2018. So I don't think it's anything where you need to worry about Perry. Let's say he signed signed with the Bruins. I don't think, as a veteran, you're going to have to worry about Perry stepping in there and stepping on people's toes. And if he's failing to produce, that he's going to demand ice time or not want to be able to kind of... Well, basically, what Backus did for you guys this year. We'll speak about David Backus later. But sick um... <laughs> uh, with Anaheim, you mentioned that they hired Dallas Eakins, who was their coach uh, in San Diego with their AHL team. This is his second stint... As an NHL head coach, uh, he was the Edmonton Oilers head coach for a couple of seasons a few years back, where he finished with a 36-63-14 record. 
he was a hotshot coaching prospect when the Oilers hired him and it didn't work out well. And when he was fired, it came out he had a very abrasive coaching and personnel style with the guys in the room. So it seems like he's learned uh, from his mistakes. He's been very successful in AHL both before and after uh, entering the Anaheim Ducks organization. Like you said, he knows a lot of the guys that were in San Diego that the Ducks are going to be incorporating into the lineup. So I think this is a pretty solid move. Um, it's going to be, I guess, interesting, but also more of a telling look into his personality to see if he's changed some of those ways that he had with the uh, Oilers a few years back. Yeah, we'll see. I'm with you because it says a lot when your AHL coach is now producing at a higher rate. In the last couple of years, that San Diego team has been a very good team. So with that of, A, not only being a good coach, but B, now having those same players coming up with him, I think that makes a difference. So I think going forward, this rebuild is now head-on because he's there. He's doing it now. So not this year. Two years, I think Anaheim will finally start making a statement in the league again. Yeah, I think they're not as far away as some people might think. I think they're further ahead than a team like the Kings. Agreed. Agreed completely with that. Uh, That little bell notification you heard was my NHL.com news alert. Apparently, Roberto Luongo is about to announce his retirement from the National Hockey League. Are, Are we breaking news right now? So... That's the notification I got. They're still waiting to confirm it. But it looks like Luongo is going to be retiring, which I'll, I'll need to spend some time looking at his contract to see what the cap recapture penalty might be for Florida. But if he comes completely off the books, this opens up even more cap space for a run at Panarin and Borowski. So pretty good timing for Luongo to make that decision if that's, in fact, what he's going to be doing. Good time to be Joel Clenville in South Florida. <laughs> um, but yeah, sticking with the buyouts, I wanted your thoughts on the Bruins in this facet. I know there's been a lot of talk about David Backus potentially being bought out. Um, but if you do think it's Backus, do you think it's warranted or do you think you can still find a role for him on, in a bottom six? And if you don't think they should or would buy out Backus, is there anybody else in your roster that you can see being bought out? As for anybody else being bought out, I don't think so. Um, the Bruins won't buy him out because on the cap, we would only save about $1.5 million. Just with the amount of the two years left on the deal, it would cost us 10 and a half the next two years. So at that point, I figure you just play him. Or if you go to trade him, it's going to cost you in the sense of prospects and or draft picks because no one's just going to take on dead weight and not want something for it because we would be sending Bacchus a prospect or if not a roster player, I don't know, probably Arizona. They always seem to be trying to just get to the floor and then taking on some of their dead weight in return. With that, I think the Bruins just keep him. Can he carve out a third or fourth line role? I don't know, because that fourth line is currently coming back. Nordstrom and uh, Corrali, 
Achari is an unrestricted free agent. If he, he wants, does have Frederick. We have Frederick coming through the pipeline, which I think is another reason why you could push Bacchus and or keep Frederick in the American League, give him another year of seasoning down there. Achari, if he wanted to come back, I don't see him making a lot of money. I could see them re-signing him. With that, though, you look at that third line, and I think it still is to be determined as to what they do with the second line with DeBrusque, Krejci, and then Blank as to whether they keep Kuhlman there, as to whether they look for someone in free agency. Then you get to the third line, and you have Coyle. We don't know yet about Johansson. Like, I just don't know because Coyle was playing at such a high level and his speed was kind of a factor that if you put Bacchus there, is he going to hinder that? Yeah, I think if Bacchus comes back, he's on your fourth line. Yeah, so, I mean, maybe they don't re-sign Achari and then they keep Corrali in the middle and have Bacchus on the wing. Maybe that's the way that they go, but it's going to be tough. There's no question, and it sucks because when he was inserted into the lineup in the playoffs, he came in against in that Toronto series and in Columbus, and he played a role, played it well, and he made a difference. He did, in fact, start to sizzle out towards the end, and it's unfortunate because when he was able to be effective and make a difference, he could. But when he was bad, he was bad, man. So lower in the lineup, you might be able to hide him better. But at the same time, I mean, anybody who watches the games can tell you he's he's the slowest guy out there. And whether it's rapid decline, whether it's injuries, whatever it is, I mean, Don Sweeney has to be ashamed of that deal. Has to be. Yeah, it was a bad deal the day he signed it. Everybody was kind of curious about why he gave him such a length of the deal. The cap hit wasn't necessarily the problem. Um, even if he's on your fourth line, he could be... I know the cap hit is a little too high for this, but like you said, it could be cheaper just to keep him and let his contract run out than buy him out and have the cap hit doubled, essentially, for the next few years with the cap penalty for the buyout. I wouldn't even mind him being your 13th forward. So maybe he's not even taking a, a starting spot on the right side from one of your young guys, like Coolman uh, or Bjork. Backus could be your 13th guy, fills in for a couple injuries here and there, stays in a room, helps the boys out. I don't think that would be a bad uh, utilization of a guy like Backus at this point in his career. Um, but when it comes down to it, Coyle and Johansson are both free agents. Both of them can play center and wing. I think Coyle's a little bit better at center than Johansson is over the course of their careers. No, we have Coyle through this year. Well, through next year. Johansson's the free agent. Oh, that's right. I was going to ask, like, which one would you rather, if you had to choose, which one you're going to keep if they're both free agents? But Well, I mean, it's tough because if they were, just the playoffs alone that they had, they both had great playoffs. So it's hard to tell on that end. Um, Coyle at times was a little bit quiet. Same thing with Johansson. But it's tough, too, when you get him at the deadline and you don't have a full season under your belt to watch. But just off their monster playoffs alone, I, I don't know why the chemistry wouldn't work again next year. Yeah. 
Um, it said I don't. Sweet. I don't know if Johansson is going to be able to take the team friendly deal that Boston is going to need him to take because I can see him easily getting a four year deal, twenty million dollars from a team out there. Yeah, and I mean, I this would be his last big contract, so I don't. I don't blame him for chasing the money at this point. But like you said earlier, recoil where he looks better if he has a guy with some speed on his wing, which is why Johansson kind of worked well with them, especially in the playoffs. I know they'll probably have Heinen on his left side, which I think is a solid fit. But I can see a guy like Kuhlman getting third-line minutes with his speed, with Heinen and Coyle really making that leap into a bot- contributing bottom-six guy. I don't think he's going to ever ever be a top-six, 20-25 goal-a-year guy, but I can see him being fitting into that role really well. Yeah, man, we'll see. I don't think Kuhlman would be a bad person to put there either if they can find a top-six winger. But if the kids could come together and play and be effective and have speed, I don't see why all three of them couldn't have a breakout year. I'm not a Danton Heinen guy at all, but he's just quiet, just like a silent assassin in a sense where not too good, not too bad, just steady par for the course. And if those guys could get a north-south game established just with their speed and I mean, Kuhlman's, sh- sh- oh, Jesus, sh- sh- really? Um, he's been shooting the puck and he's been scoring goals. So if he can get with Coyle and Coyle can give him the puck and he can put a couple in there, likewise, I mean, if Heinen can get a couple of pucks out of the corner, get him to the front, I mean, who knows? Don't know what the line combinations are going to be. Don't know what free agency brings. Don't know if there's going to be any trades. But, I mean, there's hopes. Speaking of trades, so you texted me this. I was actually out with the first lady, um, so I was away from NHL news. And this will kind of segue into my thoughts on potential Ranger buyouts. But the New York Rangers acquired Jacob Truba from the Winnipeg Jets for Neil Pionk and the 20th overall pick in the 2019 draft, which was originally property of the Winnipeg Jets that the Rangers acquired in a Kevin Hayes deal. So the trade essentially boils down to Kevin Hayes and Neil Pionk for Jacob Truba and Brendan Lemieux. I mean, fantastic. Fantastic fantastic fucking trade. The Rangers, I've been trying to think of the last time the Rangers had a sub-26-year-old top-pairing right-hand shot defenseman that plays the body, can play physical, can play on your PK, but can also score 50 points a year, which he just did this past season with the Jets. I can't think of any. I know Leach is up there, but he's a lefty shot guy. Like They had McDonough, another lefty shot guy. So I'm struggling to come up with a guy, at least in my lifetime, that's been able to fill that hole for the Rangers. And the fact that they got him for basically just Neil Pionk, who... Every Rangers fan's out there knows the pain of seeing this dude playing with Mark Stoll the last year and a half, two seasons. Yeah, he has some nice power play ability. I think he averages like 7.6 power play points per 60 minutes, which is pretty solid. But that's all he's going to give you. He's not very good defensively. Whenever the Ran- he's on the ice, the Rangers get pounded with shots against and possession against, uh, especially when he's playing with a guy as slow as Mark Stoll. Uh, he had 26 points last se- season, which looks 
nice and shiny on the surface as a 24-year-old uh, defenseman. But 15 of those 26 points were in October and November. So 11 points the rest of the season. He's basically a third-pairing right-hand shot defenseman who needs to be sheltered defensively and gives you some solid power play production. And we got Jacob Truba in return for him. And the thing that concerned me with the Rangers were was, you know, they made that trade for Adam Fox, another young right-hand shot defenseman that added him to the stable with Shattenkirk, D'Angelo, and Pionk. And I was concerned that the Rangers were going to keep Pionk over a guy like D'Angelo, who really worked at his game with uh, David Quinn this year. Still had some maturity issues, but produced very well, plays a feisty game, runs a power play, and they chose the right guy to get rid of in Pionk. So I'm very happy that they kept D'Angelo in addition by subtraction with uh, re- the removal of Pionk. But like I said, Truba's a top-pairing guy. He's really good friends with Brady Shea, who I think he's going to be paired with on the top pair, so that's a natural uh, connection there. He still has untapped offensive potential because he never really got power play time in Winnipeg because he had to deal with guys like uh, Myers and Bufflin on the right side. Uh, he's, he led all just defensemen in points, ranked 13th among regular uh, defensemen league-wide. He scored more points than Drew Doughty, Eric Carlson, Tori Krug, Shane Gostabair. Uh, so, and he's less than two years older than Pionk anyway. So, fantastic fucking deal all around. On our last podcast, when we were talking about Game 7, I was clapping. I was like, let's go. Off-season, baby. This is the Rangers' time to shine. I'm looking forward to it. Starting it off with a fucking bang. I'm all here for it, even though he needs an extension, probably like seven years, $49 million. Give it to him. Sign him up. Get it locked up. Be over with it. I just can't believe that Winnipeg is that desperate for a first-round pick. Like, getting rid of, I mean, we can argue he's a cornerstone defenseman. Like, he could change your franchise. They drafted him, I think it was eighth overall. So... With that and then getting rid of him for a first and Pionk is kind of like, Jesus Christ. Um, As for you guys also getting Lemieux, I mean, he kind of sparked your team a little bit. He was your little bulldog out there running around causing fucking hell hath no fury. With it, I mean, July 1st is coming soon. You you guys add a couple more guys to that lineup and then Capo Caco or Hughes. That rebuild was pretty quick. Where that rebuild on the fly is happening pretty quick. <laughs> um, and they still have some cash space to make a move. So um, I think Winnipeg was also incentivized to move Truba because he was coming up on restricted free agency again. And he's pretty much made it known through his past trade requests and the really tense contract negotiations he's had with the Jets that he didn't want to be there long term. So I think that kind of lowered his value and it jets leverage for teams around the league. But the fact that there were unnamed sources from other teams that came out once a trade was announced that said we offered more, in their view, for Truba than what the Rangers gave up. I don't know what's going on, but I'm not going to complain about getting Truba. You know that Lemieux, even before the trade, was a personal favorite of mine. So fantastic GMing right there uh, by the Rangers. Looking forward to it. And... Like you said, the draft is coming up this weekend where they're probably going to end up with Capville with second overall. So rebuilds, rebuilds over, man. They got Zibanejad, who's 
blossom to a first-line center. They have Heedle, who should slide into that second-line center role now that Hayes is gone. They'll have Kreider still, hopefully. Um, they have Kraftsauce coming over. They can add that to Howden, Leah Anderson, Kako, Chuba, Shea, D'Angelo, Fox, Selvon, Quist, and Goal, and they had their two young goaltenders in the pipeline behind them. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to see if they can actually bring in a guy like Panarin, too. Um, but to do that, I think they're going to have to buy out either Brendan Smith or Kevin Shattenkirk. Uh, I think Shattenkirk has a little bit more trade value around the league if the Rangers eat some of his cap hit uh, as a right-hand shot offensive defenseman. Even if it's just a salary dump, I think that clears some cap space and clears some room on the right side on the NHL roster. Smith is basically toast in the league anyway. He's been playing forward for us. so. One way or another, one of those two guys, hopefully they can trade Shattenkirk and then just buy out Smith and kill two birds with one stone. But if push comes to shove, I think they're going to be buying out Shattenkirk and then just burying Smith in the minors like Matt Bolesky. Hey, Matt Bolesky's a good player, huh? We signed him to really good money then gave it to you guys. Um, <laughs> I mean, he's not a bad overall player. You guys just overpaid for him. Yeah, uh, Don Sweeney in free agent signings, no good. Don Sweeney in trades. He's okay. Yeah, not bad, not bad. Yeah. Um, so the NHL awards are actually taking place right now as we're recording on Wednesday, well, afternoon, my time, my time in the East Coast. But I did want to get some quick hits from you, and I'll give my uh, quick selections as well on who we think. We don't know who's won yet. We're not watching. Obviously, we're recording right now, so these are our actual thoughts. Um, I'll start with probably... The most, the top three in my mind awards. Uh, I'll go with the Vezina Trophy first. The candidates are Ben Bishop, Robin Leonard, and Andre uh, Vasilevsky. Who do you think is going to take that home? See, it's tough for me because I think Bishop's out. I don't think Bishop gets it. I think it's down to Leonard and Vasilevsky. I think Vasil uh, Leonard would be more one of those guys for like the King Clancy or the comeback player of the year. I great story. And it's tough because he, the Islanders don't do what they did without the double headed monster. They have in goalie there. And I think he had a great year, but I just think the team in front of Vasilevsky was so good that even if he was bad, he would be hidden. So I have to go Vasilevsky. Yeah, I know Bishop uh, had a fantastic year, but I think him and Leonard fall into the same category as, is it, I know they have talent, but is it them or is it the system that they play in front of? And Vasilevsky played in a more open system. I think he faced some of the most, the most uh, odd man rushes in the league. I know Frederick Anderson, I think, faced the most. So I think he actually had to bail out the Lightning more than the other two played in a defensive system. So, yeah, I agree with you. I'm going to go with Vasilevsky there. Uh, moving over to the Norris Trophy, the candidates are Brent Burns, Marci Giordano, and Victor Hedman. This one's tough for me. Um, I know Gio had a good year. Don't think it's him. I loved Victor Hedman, man. And maybe it was just because being on the East Coast, I saw a lot more Victor Hedman than I did Brent Burns. But I just feel like the vet, there should be two Vezinas. I mean, Jesus Christ. We just talked about the, there should be two Norris trophies. 
there should be the one for the most offensively gifted defenseman and then one yes. for the best shutdown because it just seems like it comes down to a points contest now. So I have to go with Brett Burns just because of the way of pass votes have gone. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that happens. I think Giordano's being underrated a little bit here just because he played out in Calgary and didn't get very much national media attention. But just sticking to the purpose of the award of best defenseman, I think Victor Hedman would be my pick. I wouldn't be surprised if Burns gets it just because he has more for Pasana around the league. He's the fa- one of the faces of the NHL, I think, at this point, and he also combines that with elite offensive production. But if I was choosing, it would be Hedman or Giordano. Uh, moving on to the Hart Trophy, Sidney Crosby, Nikita Kucherov, or Connor McDavid? It has to be Kucherov for me. Um, he was the heart and soul of that team. Granted, I think... I've said it before, for the next 10 or 20 fucking years, we could see Crosby and McDavid being uh, in this with somebody else every year. I I just think that the league is so far on their jocks. And I mean, as they should, they're they're the two best players right now. But it's like, if you gave it to either one of them over Kucherov with the year that he had, like, that's fucking insanity. Like, McDavid didn't even make the playoffs. <laughs> so it's like, how can you be the heart trophy or most valuable player to your team when you couldn't even carry them to the playoffs? So for me, it has to be Kucherov just with all the work he did this year. I know they got bounced in the first round, but this is a quote-unquote regular season award. So I'm going off of that with the most points in the league, Nikita Kucherov. Yeah, I think... In my mind, he gets hurt a little bit because of all the talent that the Lightning have. I don't think even if he had a, an off night that he was going to have to carry the Lightning because they had Samkos, they had Johnson, they had Miller, they had all those guys that help him out there. I think McDavid is the best player in the league. I don't think, I mean, if you take him off the Oilers, the Oilers are the worst team in the league. So I can see that as his value. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it to Crosby here. Just because of the way, the uneven season that the Penguins had. Uh, Malkin being injured again, coming back, not being consistent. Uh, Kessel having his little bit of inconsistencies. Uh, Just the overall, I guess it's just the quote-unquote jet lag from so many deep playoff runs last few years with this core where it's kind of hard to keep it going. So I'm going to go with Crosby. Almost willed them to another division title. Um... So I'm going to go with Crosby there just because I think this year was his hardest yet as the face of the franchise in order to get them to the postseason. Uh, let's go with two more. I'm going to go Jack Adams Award. Craig Ruby, John Cooper, or Barry Trotz? This is the hardest for me because, yet again, it's supposed to be strictly based on regular season. And with that, I mean, I know Berube churned St. Louis around, but... I don't think he would get the Jack Adams because, I mean, obviously they won the Cup in the postseason, but these are supposed to be strictly regular season awards. Cooper had close to the, like I mean, probably the closest we've seen to a Detroit squad in years, but I think the turnaround that Barry Trotz did in the Islanders was, like, that's second to none. Like, I, I think it has to go to Barry Trotz. When you go from 
the worst defensive team to the best defensive team. Like, that's huge. Yeah, I think everybody expected them to finish in the lottery because of the departure of Tavares and the talent level they had there. And he led them to the playoffs and went, and the best defensive team in the league. So I'm with you 100% that Barry Trotz is Jack Adams, uh, the award winner. And the last one, the Calder Trophy. We talked about this halfway through the year, but you have Jordan Bennington, Rasmus Dahlin, and Elias Pettersson as the candidates for the Rookie of the Year. See, this one's tough because each one of these three had a different element to them as to what they offered. Like, Bennington, probably we could argue that he churned St. Louis around. Maybe he was their reason that they started finally playing behind a goalie. Darlene, I mean, the kid was playing almost 25 minutes a night as a rookie. But in Buffalo, they kind of shit the bed towards the end of the year, kind of silent, but phenomenal player. Pedersen came out flying out of the gates, and I think he was one of the biggest stories in the NHL. And I think that's probably why he gets this strictly just on regular season. I say it's Pedersen, but, I mean, I could see any of these guys getting it. I am going to stick with my midseason pick of Rasmus Dahlin just because he was the most consistent from day one. He was on a, basically getting top pair minutes, playing on a right side, putting up almost record-breaking uh, uh, point numbers as a rookie defenseman at 18. I know Bennington pretty much turned a blue season around, but he played half the year. And that coincided with Craig Berube and a new defensive system. And plus the Blues were just an underachieving team. It's not necessarily a team where they had no business being qualifying for the playoffs except for the goaltending of Bennington, in my mind. And Pedersen, extremely talented. I just think he had an inconsistent year. And I know that's probably from some of the big hits and some of the injuries that he suffered. But I think consistency-wise and production-wise, I... I would go with Rasmus Dahlin. All right, I but, thought that was our last one. Okay, but you go, you go. No, that was our last one, but I, I'm curious to see, uh, since the awards are being handed out now, how good or how bad we're going to look based on what the results are. <laughs> oh, God, don't want to know. Um, I have one question for you because it's just looking at me. The Selkie between Bergeron, O'Reilly, and Mark Stone, I mean – I think it's hard to never give this trophy to Patrice Bergeron. Do you think they finally name it after him when he retires, like the Bergeron trophy? To be honest, man, I don't even think he should win it this year. Um, I know year in and year out he's going to get nominated, so I can see the Patrice Bergeron uh, award for the best defensive forward. Um but if he wins it, it's just based on reputation this year. And I don't think Stone's going to get it. The last winger to win the Selkie was Yearly Terry in 2003, I think it was. Uh, so it's down to Bergeron or O'Reilly, and I think O'Reilly had the better year. Fair enough. I, I thought O'Reilly had a great year, too. I'm just saying, with all the ones he's won, he's already tied with Guy Carboneau for the most. Fucking Guy Carboneau. Wow. If he wins another, he goes ahead. So just just throwing that out there. I uh, so I think that wraps it up for this week's episode. The NHL draft is coming up this weekend. On social media, we will provide people with 
some links and some scouting reports to the top guys uh, just to help everybody be a little bit more prepared if you're so inclined uh, to stay up to date with the draft that's occurring. Uh, we'll keep you up to date with some of the buyouts that are still happening. I think the window is open until June 30th uh, for, for buyouts around the league before free agency starts. And if there's any other trades, if the Rangers make moves, you're going to see me happy as fuck on our Facebook page and our new Instagram page. So if you want to follow us on Instagram as well, uh, I'll link to that again in this episode description. And it's just 25 and 10 hockey or 25 and 10 on Instagram. I like it. Um, Benny, I know you have to boogie, but um, I know everyone's been holding on for it. I'm giving a quick Game 7 recap. That's it. The last time we're talking about it. Um, I know all the normal Boston people are pointing the blame to Tuka Rask. Uh, first goal, Game 7, that O'Reilly tip. I mean, I don't know if any NHL goalie gets that. Second goal, you have to be shitting me Brad Marchand for giving up on a play when there's only 10 seconds left on a period. Uh, the third goal, Charlie McAvoy is not looking behind him, and Vladimir Tarasenko is in the slot all alone. Fourth goal, you could probably put on Tuka, so one out of four, that loss is not on him. With that, it should be a 1-1 game in overtime. They should still be playing game seven a week later. Um, hats off to Jordan Bennington, man. He survived that first period onset that the Bruins gave him. They're able to get two goals there. Uh, I mean, that goal with seven seconds left, talk about backbreaking at the end of a period, you know, never score in the first minute, never score in the last minute. Bruins give that up. Um, one thing that scared me about it in general was when Bennington was on his game and then the second and third period came, the Bruins weren't shooting for rebounds. They were just shooting the puck. He was getting them all in his chest. No rebounds given up. No second chances. One thing going into this was I didn't know how I felt about a Game 7 against the Blues just because usually in Game 7s, the refs put their whistles away and let the guys play. There was only one penalty all night. And with how St. Louis was kind of dominating us, I felt like we needed the power plays to get a better chance of winning the game and with that possibility of not being there, that that scared me going into the game. And good for St. Louis to take advantage. I mean, they came in, they wanted the game more, they won the game. I think the Bruins were the better team on paper, but you actually have to play the games. So that is what it is. Hats off to the St. Louis Blues and Ryan O'Reilly, you toothless fuck, and Jordan Bennington. So hats off to them. Going forward, what Benjamin said earlier, follow us on Instagram now, 2-5-10-Hockey. We're excited. Draft coming up. NHL awards. We'll see as to how good we did. Probably not the best. But everybody, thank you as always for listening. And, I mean, I know you guys are just as upset as I am that hockey is over. And we will catch you guys for another jam-packed episode next week. I can't.